You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is a new show of The Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, Killers No Show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News. Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is up, my friends? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, everyone who's traveling for Thanksgiving, hope you have uh, some safe travels. I will be traveling with my grandparents to my parents' house on Tuesday. Looking forward to seeing all my family for Thanksgiving. Always a great holiday. We might be hit with snow. We all know that Buffalo is going to be hit with like six feet of snow this weekend, and that's why they're moving the Buffalo game all the way to Detroit in a dome, so who benefits that? Hmm, let me see. (laughs) It's going to be a fun week 11 in football. The Jets and the Giants, if the season were to end today, would be in the playoffs. So who would have thought that? Three New York teams would be in the playoffs. The Buffalo Bills, too. They're more New York, a lot of people believe, than the Jets and the Giants because they play out of New Jersey, but I disagree. But anyways, we have a great show lined up for you. We will be talking to former commanders and Vikings cornerback Fred smooth. Fantastic. Great personality. We're going to get to Aaron Judge winning the American League MVP over Shea Watani. Aaron Judge wins his first MVP. It should have been his second. He was definitely screwed by the MLB because of the Altuve season. His first full rookie season. I believe Aaron Judge was by far the MVP that year, but they were cheating. The Yankees extend Anthony Rizzo on a two-year, $34 million contract. A club option for the third year worth about $17 million. So Anthony Rizzo will be continuing with the New York Yankees. All the people that saying Hal Steinberg is cheap. He wasn't too cheap on that contract, was he? Buck Showalter wins the National League Manager of the Year. Not surprised. A lot of people thought that there were other people more likely to win that Manager of the Year, but Buck won. And as well as he should. Buck in the Mets had a sensational season over 100 wins it's a great season good for the buck pay a buck and get a buck the Mets and the Yankees being investigated for collusion the Aaron Judge situation as Steve Cohen said to Hal Steinbrenner he is not making a move for Aaron Judge because he believes he's a Yankee for life I don't know why he said that but that causes collusion and owners don't like it so Steve Cohen who a lot of owners don't like and Hal Steinbrenner who's very well respected around the MLB are now being investigated we'll get into the Jets and the Giants this week as the Jets head up to New England and force their hand on a possible number one seed in the AFC if the Jets win this week against New England and the Kansas City Chiefs lose against the Chargers in LA the Jets going into week 12, would be the number one seed in the AFC. Unbelievable. And I don't remember the last time that has happened. In 12 weeks of football, that the Jets would be a number one seed Not in my the AFC. NFLPA petitioned to have all grass fields, so no more turf. As Odell Beckham spoke out early in the season, maybe is starting to spread or break wind. <laughs> the only one breaking wind is Josh Norman when Odell owned him. <laughs> he might be a giant before you know it. Odell might be back with the Giants or the Cowboys. Three for all picks of the week as I have still a two-game lead. Kevin Durant takes shots at the Nets organization on how they prepare and game plan for games. Good job. 
Kevin. You're speaking out about preparation, but you didn't speak out about Kyrie Irving's speech. Knicks receiving trade calls for Derrick Rose and Emmanuel Quigley. The Knicks have a lot of guards, so they can move on from one or the other. I think they keep Derrick Rose. I could see them moving Emmanuel quickly. They could get something back for him. They might be willing to give up a lot of pieces because the Knicks could be thinking going into the offseason on rebuilding and trying to add stars to this team. So they have to open up salary room. And you're petitioning for Grimes to get playing time. That'll be one way to do it. That's true. Why wouldn't you trade Grimes for one of the better players in the NBA if you're not playing him? That doesn't make any sense. Moneyline Mania with Chaz and Wes. Great cup. Yes. For Wes. Good job, Wesley. And we'll get into the Islanders who have been playing great hockey. They did lose against the Predators the other day. Came back from a 4-1 deficit to lose 5-4. And they hit like four posts in that game. And the Rangers, they came back against the Seattle Krakens. Losing overtime. We will get into the Rangers and Islanders a little bit later in the show. So why don't we get into Aaron Judge. And we wonder why the Yankees over the last couple of years didn't give this guy an extension. Maybe because of injury. In the last two seasons, especially last year, he played 140 games and played the majority of the season and was one of the only healthy ones on that roster and had a pretty good year. And then this year, this year was a completely game-changing season for Aaron Judge. Breaking the home run record in the American League, 62 home runs was sensational. Something that we'll probably never see for 50 more years. Almost winning the batting title and then almost winning the Triple Crown. Hitting three 311, his OPS was one for the ages, one of only two players to ever have an OPS over 1,100. The other one, Barry Bonds. And just what he transformed in in the outfield, from a right fielder to a center fielder, and was fourth runner-up for a gold glove this year. I think he should have won, by the way. Stole 17 bases amongst 36 players in the league to do that. And you look at what the Yankees have done over the last couple of years in overpaying Garrett Cole, making the trade for Giancarlo Stanton, who I think has been a good Yankee, making a trade for Anthony Rizzo, bringing in the absolute terrible Donaldson, extending Aaron Hicks. Are those championship moves? And the answer right now is no. This year, they go to the American League Championship. They were one of the best teams in the league. In the first half, they were unstoppable. Their bullpen got hurt in the second half of the season. This just wasn't the same team. The player that glued this together was Aaron Judge. And in the month of August, where the Yankees couldn't buy a win, the Yankee fans were just completely attacking how bad the Yankees were in the month of August. It was kind of shaded because... What Aaron Judge was doing was something that nobody has ever done in the American League. He was right there with Roger Maris and Babe Ruth and Hank Greenberg, guys that hit 55 or more home runs in the American League. And everybody remembers Roger Maris, who in 1961, chasing Babe Ruth's record with Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle gets hurt, Roger Maris stays in, and finally breaks 60 home runs with 61. The MLB never accepted that until Roger Maris was dead. It wasn't until the 80s where he was well-respected as the home run champion of the American League, the home run champion of all the leagues. And then we remember McGuire and Sosa and Bonds, the steroid era, and then it all the way comes to this in 2022 when Aaron Judge hits over 60 home runs and breaks the record at 62 in the final three games of the season. And even if Aaron Judge didn't hit 311, and even if Aaron Judge didn't get walked intentionally more than any player besides Barry Bonds in Major League history, 
or OPS over 1,100, you will remember Aaron Judge and this season to be one of the greatest single seasons in Major League history. One of the most complete of any MVP season. Stolen bases, base running, playing center field, which is going to help his market value now because corner outfielders in today's market, probably since 2015, have not gotten paid to the same amount that center fielders would. But when you talk about the home runs to start, you don't see a lot of 50 home run seasons since that whole steroid era. Brian Howard had one, Pete Alonso had one his rookie year, and obviously Judge's rookie year, but not many of them. And if they were, they were hitters that were like Ryan Howard that struck out 200 times a year and hit 215. They weren't guys that are hitting 311 like Aaron Judge did, nearly winning a batting title, and with an OPS of 1.111, one of the top three of the StatCast era, a guy that really carried the Yankees in that second half of the season when they were struggling. This guy was still hitting amidst all that, still getting on base amidst all that. You don't see a guy get intentionally walked that many times, probably since Miguel Cabrera's triple crown year. And this is a guy, when he's healthy, that's been very consistent year to year. Even some of the years where he's gotten hurt, 2018 and 2019, had 27 home runs in both of those years. Yeah, the RBIs were a little lower, but the, remember how many injuries the Yankees had in 2019? It was the second most in baseball besides the race. But this is the icing on the cake for a guy that bet on himself and is going to inspire a lot of other players to bet on himself with the year he had. Congratulations to Paul Goldschmidt, too. National League MVP. And he had the runner-up on the same team in Nolan Arenado. It was a sensational year for Paul Goldschmidt. He had over 35 home runs. He was a gold glove first baseman. He's been fantastic for the Cardinals and one of the best first basemen in baseball for the last 10 years. So congratulations to him as well. Now an MVP to help his Hall of Fame case. Oh yeah, he'll be a Hall of Famer. He should be, but you never know with the baseball writers. (laughs) He has over 300 home runs. I think he needs at least four. 400, gets over 1,300 RBIs. I think there's a good chance he could be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's got 315 career home runs, 1,042 RBIs, and a career 295 hitter, 391 on base percentage. And he's won four gold gloves, seven all-stars. I would say if he gets closer to 1,500 RBIs, I think he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best first basemen of this era. There's a good chance he could get into the Hall of Fame. He's 35 years old. He could play another three, four years at the top of Which his Which is game. the length of his contract. If he plays to the length of his contract and stays healthy, which he's fairly healthy every single year. He plays hurt. I have to give him a lot of credit. Even when he's not healthy, he still plays. And that's what you expect from your best player. So, congratulations to him. The Yankees extend Anthony Rizzo to a two-year $34 million deal. Club option for the third year, worth about $17 million. I think this is a good contract for the Yankees and if they do lose Aaron Judge, they need power in that lineup. Especially with John Carlos Stanton, who can't stay healthy. He never stays healthy. So, they need some kind of power in the middle of that lineup if they do lose Aaron Judge. And plus, he's a good leader. He has a good personality. He's very good with the press. He's what you want from a guy that has won a championship with the Cubs and he's a firm leader in that locker room. So I think this was a great deal. Uh, Hal Steinbrenner and the Yankees spent money on this. This is this is not a young guy. Right. He's 33. To sign him for a two-year, three-year extension all the way till he's 36, that's taking a chance to a guy that in the last couple of years has fought some injuries. So I think this is a good deal and I don't want to hear from the Yankee fans that the Yankees aren't spending money. Besides the batting average, had a very good well-rounded year or two. Had 75 5 RBIs, 32 home runs. Yeah, he had some bad stretches in the second half of the season too, but still got on base a lot. It was a 338 on base percentage for a guy that was at a low batting average. And His batting RPS. average is going to shoot up this year. Yeah, it should. There's because there's no shift anymore. Because he's been pretty steadily 270-ish hitter in his career. A bad year batting average-wise in 2020, but that was a shortened season. Pretty steadily, and every year before that, he was consistently in the 270 range and 280 some years as well. I think he hits about 270, 280 going into this year because he can't shift anymore. Where he likes to hit the ball, you can't put five, six players on that side of the field. And a lot of people say, well, these are professional baseball players. It shouldn't matter if they shift or not. But these guys were trained and taught themselves 
for years to hit that way. Why should they change their swing? So I think that's going to change the game of baseball. I think it's going to open up the offense, and I think there'll be more offense than we've ever seen. I'm not talking about home runs because everybody's trying to hit for the fences. I think now the players will hit for average because they don't have to worry about hitting it out to not be shifted on. So I think this is a good move for the major leagues. I know a lot of people don't like it, but Bryce Harper is not complaining anymore about the <laughs> DH because this year, if it wasn't for the DH, he doesn't play in the playoffs. And the Phillies don't make the playoffs probably. And by the way, he just went in for UCL surgery, so he could be out a significant amount of time. He might miss half the season next year. We heard that from our friend, yep. Charlie Slows. He said that this was going to happen. It'll be a very interesting offseason for a lot of teams, including the Philadelphia Phillies. Buck Showalter wins the National League Manager of the Year. Congratulations to Buck. Very well deserved. There were quite a few other managers that deserved Manager of the Year in the National League, but Buck had a very good season. For his first season as the New York Mets head coach, manager, I think this was a great year for the Mets and something to drive on. I know Mets fans were not happy after losing against the Padres in the wild card. They should have won the division. They were up in the division all season long. And then they blamed Buck because of the breakdown. I don't think it had anything to do with Buck. It had something to do with the pitching. Max Scherzer not being healthy. I've told that to Mets fans when they made the move for Max Scherzer. Max is healthy. He's always healthy. He wasn't healthy this year. He was hurt three times this year. What do you think is going to happen next year? And that's his final year of his contract, which they can give him that extension, that third-year option, if they want to continue moving forward with him. And they might have to if they lose Jacob DeGrom to free agency. Just trust Charlie Slows. He's the closest to it with the Nationals. Even he said he wasn't pitching healthy last year towards the end of the season and even before he got traded to the Dodgers. And I don't expect him to be 100% healthy next year either. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big reason, though, that Buck did end up getting the manager of the year. It definitely could have gone a lot of different ways. I think Brian Snicker definitely could have gotten it with the Braves as well. But I think a lot of the Mets' success in August, when both Scherzer and DeGrom were hurt at the same time, and the Mets still staying afloat amidst all that, leveraged Buck in terms of the writers getting the nod with him. Very close race. Could have given it to the Cardinals, rookie guy Marmol as well. Rob Thompson is a great story with the Phillies too, but it's a regular season award, so he's probably not going to get it for being an interim manager. But. And then the Mets and the Yankees being investigated for collusion. I heard the story that Steve Cohen reached out to Hal Steinbrenner and said he will not step in and extend or even make an offer to Aaron Judge because he believes he should be a Yankee for life. And if it's true, there is collusion. The MLB needs to find Steve Cohen and needs to find Hal Steinbrenner. I understand they're friends. Epler and Brian Cashman are very good friends. Epler comes from the tree for Brian Cashman and is very well respected around the league. I could see the collusion there, but I don't know if they're going to be able to find the collusion where they're going to be able to take away a draft pick from both of them. There's enough factors to look at it down the road, depending on how the bidding war ends up going. I don't think we're going to be able to find anything now, just because we don't know when Aaron Judge is going to sign. We don't know how many teams will end up being involved in it. Until we know these later offers of what these teams are going to go for, they're not going to be any evidence of that. Now, if Aaron Judge directly signs back with the Yankees, depending on what the contract is, maybe that doesn't end up happening. I don't think that'll end up happening because the Giants are already in on the eight-year deal. The Dodgers are going to try to outbid the Giants. I could definitely see the Red Sox still getting involved. I don't think we're going to know until the final offers for each team end up coming out whether Aaron Judge did end up getting low-balled in his market because of that. When we come back, we'll get into some NBA conversation as Kevin Durant takes a shot at the Nets organization on how they don't know how to prepare for games and why not speak out for something so stupid like that, Kevin? You don't want to speak out with anything with Kyrie Irving, but you want to speak out on how the Nets prepare for games. Thank you, Jock Vaughn. Thank you, Sean Marks. Thank you, Steve Nash. And thank you, goodbye, and good night. When we come back, we'll get into Kevin Durant, the Knicks receiving trade calls for Derrick Rose, and Emmanuel Quickly here on The Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Week of Crunch. I'm the Big E, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. You know, it's so funny. It's nice and cold now. I'm loving the weather. There's no more heat, and you blast the heat in your car. And then the other day, I'm driving down the road, and I notice this smell coming from my vents. And so I stopped. It smelled like it was like carbon monoxide. I open up my hood and what do I find? It's a dead bird. I don't know how a bird got into my engine, which opened the vents and gave it a smell. And it was so hard to get the bird out of my car where my engine is. I had oil all over myself. It was between the fan and a bunch of belts. So I couldn't even get to it. So I don't know how it got there. Maybe somebody was trying to play a prank on me. It was a horrid smell and I thought it was carbon monoxide. Anyways, there's a lot of stenches right now in Brooklyn. It's not with happiness. No, there's just a lot of dead birds. Dead birds, dead clowns, maybe just a circus. Maybe it's just horse manure. But this Nets team is an absolute joke. It's led by their captain, their superstar player. No, it's not Kyrie Irving. We all know how idiotic he is. No, it's the other idiot, Kevin Durant. I expected Kevin Durant to speak out over the last couple of weeks. But not about this. For all the stupid things that are going on with this organization, the Steve Nash quitting, Kyrie Irving speaking out about a film that attacks Jews, anti-Semitic views, you would think that he would speak out to support the Jews and Judaism over here in Brooklyn. None of that. Instead, the clown speaks out about the organization and how they prepare for games. Now, he likes to speak, and he's got like seven Twitter accounts, and the man just doesn't know when to shut up. I respect his game as an NBA player. He is one of the top five players in the NBA. Offensively, there are maybe two or three players as good as he is, but what we have seen with this guy on and off the court is absolutely hilarious. Clown-like. Circus-like. And for him to come out and attack the organization after he told the press, after the fact that he asked the organization to trade him, that me, my agent, and my team spoke, and we believe that we're on the same track on where we're going as an organization moving forward. Now, about a month and a half later, he's coming out and attacking the organization for the preparation for games and their game plan. Now, when he decided to come to the Brooklyn Nets, Steve Nash was already the head coach. He signed off on that. When he came to the organization, Sean Marks was the GM. He signed off on that. And when he came to the organization, Kyrie Irving was there. This team was completely manipulated because he wanted veteran players there with him to take this team to the next level, including James Harden, where they traded away all their youngsters, including their great find in Spencer Dinwiddie. Karis LeVert, Allen, all their talent, gone. And by the way, their coach, Hmm. Kenny Atkinson. This organization has been an absolute joke. Why don't we just reach out to Billy King and ask him what this organization's all about? This organization has been nothing but a complete ruination to the game of basketball. Basketball is a team sport. It always was. It's been around since the 1800s. By the way, it was created by a Jew. I think Kyrie Irving wouldn't like that. Maybe he shouldn't be playing basketball anymore. No, he probably doesn't know that because he's not smart enough well, to he thinks the earth study is flat. Jewish history. Everything that he reads in books are completely right. And his Bible, whatever Bible that is, is completely different from the regular Bible, the New Testament, the Old Testament. He knows more than both of them. 
The flat earth prophecy. Why Kyrie Irving is always right and should coach and own the Brooklyn Nets. And then you think of Kevin Durant. He says the game plan isn't right. They should be finding ways to figure out how to make the game plan better. Why don't we just build the team around Ben Simmons? If you think the game plan's not right around you, let's build it around the guy that's never healthy. Or the guy that can't shoot. Or the guy that can't eat a free throw. If Ben Simmons was running a team, they would have to make the three-point line eight feet back. Honestly, there's probably five guys that if you're not a Nets fan, you probably know. Speedy, could you name them? Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Joe Harris, and Seth Curry. Well, Seth Curry's hurt. Harris is the other one, and Patty Mills. I don't know. Maybe that might be a long shot. After those guys, you couldn't name the other guys. You go to the Knicks right now, even if you're not a Knicks fan, you can name the bench on the Knicks. The Knicks bench scoring is top eight in the league. That shows you the difference of both teams. You have a star-powered team with three players and a bunch of nobodies, and then you have a bunch of good players that could play and a bunch of decent players on the bench. So what does that sell to you? It sells your game planning. There is no way to game plan on a team that has no bench. When you get into foul trouble, how do you game plan? You know what you should do? If Kyrie Irving comes back, whenever he comes back, you should start Kyrie off the bench and have Kevin Durant start the game. So you have two offensive players playing at different times. It opens up the offense a completely different way. That should be the game plan. I don't know what's going on with this team. I don't know why Kevin Durant is speaking. I I think Kevin Durant should be speaking about other things that are going on with the organization instead of the game planning. This team stinks. They're not going anywhere. I'll be surprised if they do make the playoffs. There's too much going on off the court for any good to come on the court. There's nothing good when we talk about the Brooklyn Nets. You wonder what's going to happen to Kevin Durant? I'll tell you what's going to happen to Kevin Durant. By the trade deadline, he will be traded. You know where he's going. He's going to go to the Phoenix Suns because by then, they could trade DeAndre Ayton. They won't have to give up a lot for Kevin Durant. Even though he's a great player, I think DeAndre Ayton may be a first-round draft pick and another player, maybe one of their young guards, and that would be enough to get Kevin Durant to go from the Nets to the Phoenix Suns. I think Kevin Durant would be a great fit because you got Chris Paul there and you got Booker and really good bench. They have a chance to win. And Golden State Warriors don't look good right now. But there are other teams that are taking a lot of steps forward. I know the Suns have also been trying to move Jay Crowder too, so maybe he's part of that deal as well. Yeah, well, they move him, maybe a three-team trade. Yeah. I don't believe Kevin Durant will be a Brooklyn Net by the end of the year. And Kyrie Irving, he will be out of the Brooklyn Nets after this year because I can't see the Nets bringing him back unless they want to lose every single fan watching a basketball game because they've lost a ton of fans, season ticket holders for what Kyrie Irving did. It's going to be very, very interesting. As far as the Knicks are concerned, they are receiving trade calls for Derrick Rose and Emmanuel Quickly. Right now, the Knicks are a playoff team. I don't think they're going to trade any of these guys until the trade deadline. If the Knicks are still in it, it will be very hard for them to move on from Emmanuel Quickly or Derrick Rose. They have a better chance of moving Emmanuel Quickly at the trade deadline than Derrick Rose if they're a playoff team. I do believe the Knicks will get into the playoffs this year. And if they do, is that enough to keep Tom Thibodeau? Is that enough to save him from getting fired? The answer will be no. Unless they get out of the first round, Tom Thibodeau will not be the coach of the New York Knicks next year. Yeah, I think you definitely could see both players getting traded later in the season. I don't think you're going to mess with it right now just because Derrick Rose, I think, has, from a mentorship standpoint, definitely helped Jalen Brunson perform the way he has, too. I'm sure he's been a good guy off the bench to help teach him and really grow his game because Jalen Brunson has definitely grown his game this year from what we ever anything we saw with Dallas. Emmanuel Quigley, at this point, he's a young player that's been pretty steady. He hasn't really been like the breakout for the first like three months of his career. He's kind of been leveled out since then, and he's kind of been a good shooter off the bench type of 
but really hasn't grown into the all-around player. So that kind of value, good to have that kind of player off the bench. I don't think they're going to be in a rush to trade him unless they get blown away with the offer. We've seen Leon Rose be stingy with that kind of thing, so I don't think they're just going to trade him impulsively. Look at the whole Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes in the offseason. Look at the draft. Don't Knicks. you think if he can go back now for the whole Donovan Mitchell thing, he makes that trade? I'm just saying, I think in terms does. of the process of Leon Rose, you're not just going to see Emmanuel Quigley just be traded impulsively just to have all these other guys play. I don't think you're going to see that kind of thing unless there's a really good offer. And I think you're going to see that more likely in the trade deadline. Donovan Mitchell is shooting his lights out right now. One of the highest scoring players in the NBA right now, averaging 30.9 points a game, almost five rebounds a game, and over six assists a game. If you don't think he's an all-star, you don't think he's a top five guard in the NBA, I don't know what you're looking at. And he should be a Nick. Maybe Jalen Brunson doesn't transition into the player he is right now, but the Knicks have to wait another two or three years to get Donovan Mitchell here, and at that time, he's 29 years old, and he's at the tail end of his career. So you're going to bring in a guy that probably is still one of the better players in the league, but you could have had him in the prime of his career. So it sucks. Donovan Mitchell's having a hell of a year. Is the Cleveland Cavaliers as good as we thought they were going to be? No, I don't think they are. And I know it's early in the season. A team that has a lot of good young players, the fact that they're 8-6 and six in the Eastern Conference, that's not a good record. Yeah, they're in a losing streak right now, like five games. They haven't looked good. And maybe not having their star point guard right. and Garland there, and now he's coming back, and he's just got to get acquainted and get comfortable again. And you had Donovan Mitchell running the point guard position when he was out, and so these guys haven't played together that much, so they have to figure each other out. We expected Boston to be this good. We expected Milwaukee, and a lot of people think Milwaukee is the team to beat throughout the league because of their talent, and when Chris Middleton comes back, watch out. He's not even playing right now in their 11-3. That's their second best player, and he's going to be back sometime after the All-Star break. You're talking about one of the best shooters in the NBA. And they proved on their finals run they don't really need to be a number one seed in order to do it. No. So the two years where they were the number one seed, they lost in the second They round. need Chris Middleton. If they had Chris Middleton last year against the Celtics, they beat the Celtics. Yes, easily. And I think that when he comes back this year, they beat the Celtics. The Greek freak right now is the MVP of the league. He is the best player in the league. He's been the best player in the league. It was either him or Jokic. Yeah. You could go back and forth who the best player. Jokic is a beast of a man. But if you don't know the story about Giannis, check out the Disney story. It's a remarkable story. And three of his brothers played in the NBA. And all three of them won a championship. One, one of them still on Milwaukee's roster. Right? One, one with the Lakers, with LeBron James. And the other two, Giannis and his other brother, who the Knicks drafted, yep. won a championship with Milwaukee. So... So it's an amazing story about that family and how Giannis really transitioned as a Greek player. And by the way, Greece didn't even want him to play for their national team because he wasn't really Greek. And they didn't want him to play on the international team. Fled into the country, snuck into the country, fought for their Greek visas, and they could never get it. Finally, the two brothers started playing basketball, traveled all the way to practice with the international team. And then eventually people saw him, and then the Greek international team didn't want them to play. And they had to finagle things. And then finally, he found an agent that was willing to help him and got him in the NBA draft. And a lot of people said that if he wasn't drafted in the top 16, he would have got lost in the shuffle and had to go back to Greece. And who knows? Maybe Giannis isn't Giannis now. It's a crazy story. Unbelievable story. You're talking about arguably one of the greatest players of this era. One of the greatest players, maybe by the time he's done, never played the game. That's how crazy and athletic this kid is. And he's still fairly young. He's got another five good years the way he plays the game. It's an unbelievable story. When we come back... 
We'll get into the Jets as they head up to New England and Foxborough as they have some unfinished business with those Patriots and Mr. Belichicko. And the Giants, big game against the Lions this week. The NFL PA petition to have all grass fields as the Jets and the Giants came out and said that in 2023 they're changing it to grass. And we'll have our three-for-all picks of the week when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. This is a big week for the Jets, man. I am so excited for this week for the Jet fans. I know the Jet fans were not happy three weeks ago at MetLife when the Jets had the lead against the Patriots and then that whole penalty hitting Mac Jones, Franklin Myers, and the interception was brought back. And then the Patriots in the second half just completely dominated the game. A lot of fans were just so very upset about that loss. That was a game that they should have won. The Jets should be 7-2, and two, not 6-3. and three. But nevertheless, this is a huge game for the Jets. Not only because it's a divisional game and they do not want to lose back-to-back games against the Patriots because they need to stay up in this conference and in this division because if they do have as many wins as they expect to have in the division, if it's a tie break, the Jets get into the playoffs. And that's their whole goal. I know a lot of people think, oh, we can win the Super Bowl this year. They're not winning the Super Bowl. And if they win the Super Bowl, I'll be very surprised. The Bengals went all the way to the Super Bowl. They laid up a lousy goose egg against a very good Rams team. But I don't think this is their Super Bowl year. I think next year will be the year we're going as Jet fans thinking about a Super Bowl ring. Because all the players that are going to be coming back, everybody that's under contract, the Jets are still in a very good position next year to be a top-end team. But if the Jets win this week against the Patriots, if the Patriots lose this week, they're 5-5. Five and five. I don't remember the last time Bill Belichick was 5-5 five and five in a regular season. And in last place in the division. And if Kansas City loses against the L.A. Chargers... In L.A. on Sunday Night Football, the number one seed in the AFC will be the New York Jets. It is crazy. Nobody would be thinking about this going into Week 12 as the Jets would be the number one seed in the AFC. Shows you what coaching and a coaching change could do. What a good GM, a GM that knows what he's doing when it comes to drafting. And what talent and young talent could do when they get developed and they're developed right. And I compared it last week to the 2012 Seahawks, the year before they won their Super Bowl against the Broncos. They were a new breakthrough, especially on defense with the Legion of Boom that year. They didn't have the pass rush that time, but they still had the linebackers. They still had that great secondary. And the Jets this year have that great secondary. Now, obviously, the Seattle safeties are better than anything the Jets have had this year, but Jordan Whitehead has played better. And this pass rush, fantastic ever since that Bengals game with Quinn and Williams having the outburst on the sideline. Very good against the run. Turned it around from last year. They're eighth best against the run. And that's what they're going to have to do in this matchup against the Patriots. That's what they're going to have to do in a lot of the key matchups they have for the rest of this season. And offensively, their running game has still proved that they could be strong as long as their offensive line is able to hold up, which they were able to patch together nicely against the Bills. And they're getting some guys back for this week too, which I think should help against the Patriots that really has been reliant more on their defensive front this year rather than their secondary. As far as the expectations for the Jets next year trajectory, because they still have a lot of money getting everyone signed, Quinn and Williams, CJ Mosley getting him back signed again. He's still under contract. What they need to do is negotiate another cutoff for Mosley and try to take some of that money and 
putting into other players like yeah. Kawan Alexander, Quinton Williams, Quincy Williams. Carl Lawson has one more year left on a contract. Maybe they extend that contract for another year or two. They're going to have money. And we all know Joe Douglas isn't going to overspend for anybody. And Quinton Williams is going to be a highly profiled player. They could franchise Quinton Williams next year. I don't think that'll make Quinton Williams very, very happy. I think they're going to find a way to give him a contract. The question is, how much is he going to take off that salary cap where in two or three years that could affect the Jets in the long run? But we're not even talking about the offseason because the Jets have a lot of football left. Maybe this is a year that's going to be special. Maybe they do pull off a win in the playoffs or two wins in the playoffs and take it all the way to the AFC title game where they could be up against Kansas City or up against the Buffalo Bills for a Super Bowl opportunity. And the Jets have been in this position back-to-back years in 2009 and 2010. One game away from playing in the Super Bowl with Rex Ryan. This team is much better than that Super Bowl contending team. This team has much more talented young talent. They're developing. I'm excited. This team has a lot of years left to be a contender and championship contending opportunity. And the way Joe Douglas has built this team, very similar to how the Bills really got good drafting so well and they were sticking with the rebuild and not overreacting to either big contracts or that one year where they randomly made the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor, kept a lot of their own guys and then when they thought they got good, started to be more aggressive and made the splashes in free agency, made the splashes with the Stephon Diggs trade and the Jets have a lot of room to be able to do that kind of thing too if they wanted to make a big trade. In the- I right don't now think is- they will do that. The well, Bills, so- they spent money on Von Miller. They didn't need to do that. They could have built through the draft like the Jets. I can't see Joe Douglas next year going into free agency and bringing anybody in. I think he keeps his own players. I think he tries to maneuver the contracts, tries to save some money on the gap, pays his own players. This team is good enough to win a Super Bowl right now. When they get Brees Hall back and Elijah Vera Tucker and Mekhi Becton, this team is more than good enough to win. All their draft picks, they could still get better in the draft. If they're missing a linebacker, they could draft one. If they're missing a safety, they could draft one. If they're missing a wide receiver... They can draft one. This team in the offseason, they were missing so many pieces. They needed a tight end, wide receivers. They needed a corner, edge rushers. It all was fixed in one offseason by Joe Douglas. And he added so much depth brought Brown in. He brought Herbig in. Finally, the Jets have depth, even losing players like Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker, where they can still compete and still be a top contending team. They also have the leeway, too, if they want to make the big splash, because we've seen the trends of the big splashes working. Look at the Dolphins trading for Tyreek Hill. Look at the Eagles trading for A.J. Brown. How much better those two guys have made those offenses. You never know which receiver is going to be disgruntled at any given time, and the Jets could trade Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims for that kind of player. Same kind of thing with a safety. Somebody like Jesse Bates, if he doesn't resign with the Bengals. I think he's too expensive. He might be. I, mean, I think the Bengals will bring him back too, but the Jets have leeway to do that now because they've really built everything else well. The Giants, they have a big game this week too against the Lions, MetLife Stadium. The Giants are hot. They're playing good football. They are playing against teams that are inferior to them. Look at the team that they beat last week, the Texans. Now, that's not taking shots at the Giants. You play who's ever in front of you, but the Giants are a very young team and they have some talent. Saquon Barkley, if he's not the best running back in the NFL, he's second or third. He's doing everything he possibly can to keep this team offensively sound. Slate has been the number one target for Daniel Jones for the last couple of weeks. He's been explosive, and they're playing good defense. The only thing that worries me about the Giants is they depend too much on the blitz. And when they play teams that use that extra wide receiver or use that running bag up in the seam, they're going to have problems against the blitz. Teams are going to start dominating against the blitz. The Dallas Cowboys with Pollard and Zeke Elliott when he can catch the ball. The Commanders with Gibson and the 
wide receiving core that they have. So teams like to hide the deficiencies of their defense by blitzing. It doesn't always work. Wink likes to do that. Did it with Baltimore for years. And now he's doing with the Giants. Has it worked? It has worked. Rex Ryan did it too. It worked for the Jets. Teams figure that out. And when you play the better teams, when you make the playoffs, teams will start to attack those problems with your defense. That has a lot to do with the secondary and how bad the secondary could be. Different coverage schemes as well. Because sometimes you could be just a raw man blitz or a raw zone blitz scheme and that kind of thing get exposed. You look at a team like the Steelers with Mike Tomlin. After they won their Super Bowl in 2008, they've had issues in the playoffs because teams knew how to game plan against that zone blitz and be able to expose it. The Ravens did it a lot. The Patriots did it a lot. You have to be able to be a mixture. Look at the Broncos when they won the Super Bowl. They were an outside rushing scheme, but they mixed up man and zone coverage. Now, granted, they had a much better secondary than this Giants team does, but still, that's the thing that Wig Martindale is going to have to adjust to because when they man blitzed a lot in the fourth quarter of this game, they had a lot of trouble tackling on screens, and they had to take a lot of penalties because of that. And when the pass rush wasn't getting there, they looked like they were getting all these extra yards, and that's the Texans. Imagine what a better team could do. The Eagles, Washington, you mentioned with Gibson and Brian Robinson, Minnesota, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. In the playoffs, too, there's going to be a lot of good running back competition they're going to have to face no matter who they play in Seattle, San Francisco. In terms of the offense, yeah, Slayton's played better, but they still need a little more trustworthy with the receiving depth. Hopefully, Daniel Bellinger, when he comes back from his eye injury, he had eye socket surgery, could add an element to that offense because they can't just rely on Saquon to do everything and Daniel Jones running to be able to do everything. The NFL PA petitions to have all grass field. You heard it from the Jets. The Jets in 2023 will have grass, not turf. It seems like it's going to happen, I think, with everything that's gone on with these ACL injuries, these ankle problems that these players have had. Elijah Vera Tucker tore his tricep. That had a lot to do with him putting his arm on the field. Maybe it is the turf, but a lot of players are complaining that that's why the injuries are happening. So is this a good move for the NFL? If the players want it and it makes them happy, I said it's going to be costly, but I know there's a lot of ex-NFL players that say the NFL is a multi-billion dollar organization. It doesn't matter how much money they put into the fields because they're going to get what they put into it. I think it makes a lot of sense for the NFL to change turf into grass, even though I think it's going to be very costly. I don't know if they're going to do that throughout the NFL. I don't know if the ownership is going to do that in all the fields, but we heard the Jets and the Giants will do that. So if the Jets and Giants are doing it, I'm sure it's going to transition a lot of teams and a lot of stadiums to change. It's going to be a league-wide transition now. Roger Goodell's contract is going to expire in three years, so maybe a new commissioner would be able to lobby for that kind of thing. What worries me more with this kind of operation would be the multi-purpose facilities. Atlanta with their new stadium, the LA Chargers and the Rams with their new stadium that are used for more than just football. Would they be able to adjust to having natural grass or artificial grass like MetLife Stadium does and be able to have their other things work for the operation of the stadium? But you're right. The NFL has so much money they should be able to fund it. The owners of the teams should be able to fund that kind of thing. And even the stadium executives themselves. There's a lot of money that could come from all different sources where this operation is possible and should be something that should be in effect for these players. And now, ladies and gentlemen, are three for all picks of the week. I gained a little ground with the Green Bay Packers comeback against the Dallas Cowboys. Two-point lead for you right now. So we'll start with the New York Jets at the New England Patriots. The other under, very low for this one, 38. I am going to take the Jets in this one. I did not take them the first time against the Patriots, but I am going to take them this time. I think their running game really proved a lot towards the end of that game against the Buffalo Bills and their offensive line a lot more intact to be able to counter that pass rush. Matt Judon leads the league in sacks right now. They got a good interior as well. And the Jets, they're eighth best against the run this year, which I think will be able to counter the Patriots running attack very well, and they do not have the receivers whatsoever to take advantage of that secondary. So I'll take the Jets in this one with the under. I have the Jets this week. I think the Jets are going to completely kill them. And even if it's 27-10, to 10, which I'm predicting, it's still under the 38. 
and I think it will be under 38. I think the Jets are going to be able to run against the Patriots. I think the Jets are going to be able to throw against the Patriots. The secondary, even though it's played well over the years against the Jets, even in the first game, in the second half, the secondary played very well. Yes, Devin McCourty, he definitely conquered that game, but I think it's going to be different this game. I think Zach Wilson's going to figure not to throw the ball deep, not to force the ball in places that don't make sense. He is going to use his running game with Robinson and Carter and dominate the game. The Jets win the game on the under. Next game, the Dallas Cowboys at the Minnesota Vikings. 48 and a half, the over-under. I've been liking the Vikings a lot this year. I've said they were a very complete team, but this just feels like an ideal letdown spot for them. They had the big comeback against Buffalo, down 27 to 10. Justin Jefferson makes that miraculous catch. Even as a Giants fan, I'll admit it was better than the Odell catch. They win in overtime. Dallas, they had that big collapse. I think this is just a letdown game for Minnesota. I'm going to take the Cowboys here. I think their receivers will have their best game. CeeDee Lamb, I could see having close to 150 yards in this game. I think Michael Gallup has his best game since coming back. Dallas defense will be able to, I think, take advantage of a smaller Vikings offensive line and stop the run, not like they did last week. So I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys in this game. I'll take them on the under. I have the Dallas Cowboys, too. When you look at what Minnesota's done the last couple of weeks, especially coming back against the Buffalo Bills and beating them in overtime, I think Dallas is going to be able to get at them. I think this is one of the best defenses in the league. One of the top three front sevens in all of football with Michael Parsons, Eschen. I think they have the ability to go at you and get you. Kirk Cousins just holds the ball too long, and when he holds the ball too long, he gets himself into trouble. He forces the ball to Jefferson. I think Diggs will be taking Jefferson. There will be chances for a pick six or interception. I do believe the Cowboys win, and I believe it'll be on the under as well. Alright, last one. Sunday Night Football. The Kansas City Chiefs at the mm. LA Chargers. Over-under for this is 52. Mm. The Chargers are likely to get both of their wide receivers that have been hurt for a while. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. They've been practicing all week. That will make this game a lot closer. I am still going to take the Chiefs, though, because I do worry about still some things with the Chargers defense. Asante Samuel did play very well last week against the 49ers, but beyond that, the rest of their secondary is very spotty. Kansas City does a great job at spreading the ball around, and the Chargers have still had their issues stopping the run, so I think either Pacheco or Hilaire, whoever gets the majority of the touches, will have a nice game. And the Chiefs have been able to stop the run themselves. Number five run defense in the league right now, so I don't think Austin Eckler has the big, big game we've been used to seeing rushing-wise. Receiving-wise, I think he'll do well, but I don't think it'll be enough. I think the Chiefs win close. I'm going to take him on the over. I've got the Chargers in this game. I think they go into L.A. They have Keenan Allen. They have Mr. Mike back. I think they're going to be able to throw against this defense. I think this defense is very overrated. I do believe Patrick Mahomes will have a good game because with all the injuries the Chargers have, they're not going to be able to to defend a high-flying offense of the Kansas City Chiefs. But I do believe the Chargers, being that they're home, it'll be loud. And with the weapons they have, I think they're going to be able to do enough to win this game. Give me the Chargers over. Those are our three-for-all picks of the week. When we come back, our special guest, we will be talking to former commanders and Vikings cornerback Fred Smoot here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Petey. Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. It's been cool. I'm loving it. Outside, smelling the brisk. You could breathe outside. It's not humid and disgusting and sweaty and you gotta go inside and sit in the air conditioning. No, you could just walk right outside and enjoy the nice cold air. I Loving it, baby. Somebody else that loves it is a guy that we haven't had on the show yet, and now he's here. We are now talking to former... 
Commanders and Vikings cornerback, Mr. Fred Smoot. Freddie, what's going on, bud? Good, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. You look good. You look healthy. We always say that when we see somebody that we haven't saw in a long time. Would you see somebody and be like, oh, my God, you look awful. You look terrible. You look like a dead guy. Well, obviously, have never heard our show because I've done it before. <laughs> We've had ex-athletes on our show. They love coming on the show. The next time I see them, I'm like, man, you don't look very happy. You don't look healthy, brother. What's, what's going on? The one thing that men really can't take, and I got a lot of homeboys that lost their hair, and they just cannot take it. Men cannot take the hair loss. If you can come up with something to grow me and back hair, it's a billion dollar business. I'm 40 years old this year. Look at this hair. You can do a head and shoulders commercial right now. <laughs> well, if they want to over Troy <laughs> He's still making money head and shoulders. Troy Palomalu yeah. all day long. Troy is awesome. He's got a great personality. I'm sure you played against him, so you know all about great his crazy. Great guy. Yes. Great guy. Great mm-hmm. energy. Just great human being. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell people all the time, man. When you meet some of these players, they are better human beings than they ever were a football player. And that's the great thing. When we speak to guys like Tab Ali, and Tab Ali is living at large, man. He's a hip-hop artist now. He's trying to get his career to that next level in that career. You saw what he did in the NFL. Great pass rusher he was. 89 sacks, and he's a borderline Hall of Famer. And then you see how he transformed his life after walking away from football because you live, sleep, smell when it comes to football when you're playing on the field. And then once it's over, it's gone. And then you're like, where am I going next? What am I going to do? It's crazy when we speak to all these different athletes and we see where they have gone after mm-hmm. their careers, it's yeah. crazy. I tell people all the time, just because you're great at something don't mean you got other loves. Mm-hmm. Like, if we, once you meet people and be in the locker room, you'll be shocked at how many of these guys are poets, doctors. Like, they just happen to be 6'6", 320 pounds. <laughs> like, so guess what? I'm going to take the route of least resistance so they play football. But other than that, they have a plethora of things. My guy Vernon Davis, he's acting now. He's working on his sixth movie. So at the end of the day, guys transition to other love. You can love more than one thing. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Commanders and Vikings cornerback Fred Smoot. So Fred, why don't we get into your career? And and you had a pretty good career. You were in the league for a very long time. An average NFL player plays three to four years. You played a lot longer than that. I really enjoyed it because the great thing that I never did, I never let Fred Smoot, the football player, be bigger than Fred Smoot, the person. I always kept them one and one. I kept them simultaneously growing at the same time. So when it was time for me to walk away from sports, and this is the thing about it, we never walk away from sports. Sports walks away from us. You wake up one day and your body says no and your mind says yes. So that's when the divorce process starts. Now, here go the thing about it. You're talking about divorcing something that's been a part of your life since you were four or five years old. Not only have you been defined by that football, that football have shown you different countries, different worlds, different lifestyles, different everything. So sometime after football, it's hard for guys to redefine themselves or make themselves something else without that brown football. But I cherish in that because I'm more than just a football player. And I always live like that. You grew up playing football with, how did you get into it? Are there any other sports you got into yeah. like over time? I played basketball. All my time in the league, I was built like a basketball player. I was 180 pounds, six feet tall, skinny. I always played basketball, played a little baseball. Track was always my thing. I love track, love running track. But guess what, fellas? I'm going pro again, and I'm going pro in bowling. I am a hell of a bowler. And it's about time that pro bowling had that five-star athlete that they could say. It's about time they had a LeBron, uh, Michael Jordan. Don't disconnect to Williams and all the rest of the guys that's doing their thing. But it's 
time for that elite athlete with a six pack to be the bowling champion. And Fredless Targaryen, that's me. Fredless Targaryen. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. I love Game of Thrones, love House of Dragon, love it all. Oh, I love it too, man. I didn't watch the Game of Thrones for like eight years after it. And then I watched every single season. I just got addicted to it. I had the House of the Dragons and I watched every single episode every week. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, I have to wait another almost a year to see the new episodes. It's horrible. I've been trapped in Westeros for like 15 years. I've been living in a place where different things happen and marrying your cousin or your auntie is no problem. But I've been, <laughs> so I've always enjoyed it as a whole. And then to top it off, the David Chappelle skit on Saturday Night Live just really did it for me. If you were to pick a character that reminds yeah. you of you from any of those shows, which one would it be? I'd be old Fred Snow, old John Snow. Everybody gonna one. be judged. I'm the bastard <laughs> from the South. So I'll be good that lives in the North. So I'm fine with that. It's the best. I cannot wait on next season because it's gonna be a war. It's definitely an addiction. It's like a drug or a certain drink that you like. Once you taste it, you want more of it. Plus, I was a Viking. My homeboy called me. You know how your homeboy's always ragging at you. So he gave me the name of Fretless Valerian. He called me the sea snake because of what happened at the Vikings. <laughs> As everybody knows, we are talking to former commanders and Vikings cornerback Fred Smoot. Let's get into the Vikings because yeah. the Vikings are playing great football right now. They came up with that win last week against Buffalo. It really has a lot to do with Jefferson. I think they really force feed Jefferson a lot on the field. They have other great weapons like Cook and Thielen. Thielen hasn't had the season I thought he was going to have. Jefferson's a special player. What are your thoughts to the growth of this team with a new coach, just a new mindset this year? Well, I think Coach McConnell unlocked the offensive prowess of this team. I thought having a defensive coach sometimes, defensive coaches can be, let's run the ball and play good defense, which the mindset of a defense coach, I think McConnell comes up and say, let's be dynamic, and that's what they are. And you just said it. Dalvin Cook, one of the best running backs in the league. Justin Jefferson, one of the best, if not the top three wide receivers in the league. TJ Hawkinson, watch his career flourish. Since he's been there, two games, he's caught 17 passes already, doubling what he caught in Detroit. Adam Thielen. Of course, he's getting a little long in the tooth now. Jefferson getting all the love, and maybe he got a little fat rash disease mixed up in that, but he's still a legit number two. So the offensively-wise, they are a very dangerous team, and they can play defense. The only question most people have when it comes to the Vikings is Kirk Cousins. Is he going to be there when you need him to be there? So I want to go to the other team, the Washington Commanders you played for, because you were celebrating their undefeated season spoiling of the Philadelphia Eagles. So what has been your impression of them this season, especially in that game? What I love it, every time they take a trip to Pennsylvania with undefeated teams. We beat the Steelers two years ago when they was 11-0. Then we come back and beat Philadelphia. Ain't nothing like ruining an NFC East rivals. Good time in the sunshine, especially Philadelphia. If y'all don't know if Philadelphia fans are the worst fans in the NFL, you cannot tell them anything about the Philadelphia Eagles. They like to say fly, Eagles fly. I love saying cry, Eagles cry (laughs) because they cried the other day. And i like to give them a shout out because they are the only city in America that has a statue of a dude that doesn't exist. Rocky is not a real guy. So all I can say is this. I thought the guys went up there and I thought they literally forced their will upon the Philadelphia Eagles. Dominated them. 23 first downs. Had the ball 40 minutes. Ran the ball down their throat. So at the end of the day, no, they showed that we can go out there and we can win in a dirty football game. You look at the league right now and there's two divisions that everybody thought was going to stand out. The Kansas City division where everybody thought, hey, you Mm -hmm. have Kansas City, you have the Chargers with all the 
acquisitions they made in the offseason. The Vegas Raiders, what they did in the offseason, adding Adams and the talent they have offensively, and they added Josh McDaniels, and then the Broncos and Russell Wilson. That fell apart. And then you have yep. the divisions like the Rams and the 49ers and Arizona, and then yeah. now the newly inquired Geno Smith, Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> What's going on right now? The divisions that everybody thought was going to be the top divisions, it's two of the worst divisions in football. Well, they pay for champions. When you're a paper champion, that means you ain't played no football. Just because you put pieces together don't make them great. I know that personally from being a Washington football player. We could go out and get the best pieces. That don't make you the best team. Football families win championships. Individuals go to Pro Bowls. So that's fine. At the end of the day, with Denver, even if Russell was balling, we still knew it was going to take a year for them to really get rolling. You can't put a new coach, new quarterback in a new situation and think it's just going to happen. The Raiders, they are who I thought they were. Who I'm really disappointed in a little bit is the Chargers. I thought they would be a lot better. And when you talk about Geno Smith and what he's done, it reminds me of Rich Gannon. Everybody forget that Rich Gannon used to be a backup quarterback for the longest before he took the Raiders to a Super Bowl. I think Geno Smith is for real and he's like a rash. He's here to stay. Nobody wants him, but he's here to stay. And when you talk about the Cardinals, my God, are we watching terrible coaching? Because they got players. But this is what happened when you hire a coach that wasn't even 500 in college. He's going to be mediocre in the league. And the Rams, Super Bowl hangover, I call it fat rash disease. I knew they would take a step back. But the 49ers are going to be that team in the playoff that nobody wants to play. They could do what the Cincinnati Bengals did last year. Nobody will want to play the San Francisco 49ers. You played in the NFC East, where the NFC East was having multiple teams make the playoffs. Back to back years where three teams made the playoffs. So, what were some of those battles like with those top yeah. NFC East teams? NFC East is always a battle, period, because think of the markets. You got New York, you got Dallas, the most popular team in sports. You got Philadelphia Eagles. So, every game means something. Every game is a rivalry. You ask people, what's the rivalries in the NFC East? All of them. Now, we're seeing a division that all four teams are fighting for playoff spots. Dallas seems to be strong when they need to be. New York is the only team with the question mark. I think everybody is waiting for Daniel Jones to pull a Daniel Jones. Everybody's waiting for him to take a step back, but they keep taking steps forward. In Philadelphia, I don't have to tell you how dangerous they are, but the NFC beast is back. We're that division that we're only good when every team is good. You look at all the championship runs. New York winning the championship. We're all good at the same time. We're talking to former commanders and Vikings cornerback Fred Smoot. The best division in football right now is the AFC East. You have the Buffalo Bills the last two weeks. Uh, are, are you serious? Yeah. The AFC East? That's where you're going? I thought just explained to you <laughs> why the, the NFC East is the beast? The AFC East right now, the worst team in their division is 5-4. and four. That's the Patriots. You have the Jets that are 6-3. and three. You have Miami. The NFC East, they had the easiest schedule throughout the league. The Giants had one of the easiest schedules. The Cowboys. The There's no easy wins in the NFL. It's about what week do I play you? I who is injured? It's no such thing as an easy win. If you look at the schedules, the schedules don't match out what the AFC East has played against this year. You have Buffalo, you have the Jets, you have Miami, and Miami and the Jets have been the surprise teams in the league. Tua, when healthy, you have guys like Tyreek Hill, who's been unbelievable. Waddle, who's been unbelievable. Their running game, even their offensive line, which everybody thought was their weakness, has actually played well. And then there's the Jets. They had Brees Hall, who became a star. Sauce Garner, who's the best corner in the league as a rookie. And Quentin Williams has become the best defensive 
defensive tackle in football. Crazy. Lies, After- lies, lies. <laughs> Listen to me, rubbish. John Allen and Deron Payne are the highest rated interior D linemen in the league. Hold on one second. Nobody plays defense like the Washington football team. <laughs> Last time I checked, Michael Parsons was up for defensive player of the year. He's a linebacker. The Cowboys, Trayvon Diggs, one of the best, if not the best, corner in the league. And when you want to talk about the best running back in the league, Saquon Barkley seems to come to my mind. Last time I checked, big play slate, Brad Barry, the best cornerback duo. That's in the NFC East. So what are you saying? You're explaining what everybody hold is. On, hold on. here. The best cornerback duo right now in the league with PFF ratings are DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. That not is a big play slay. Who getting the ball back? Is Slay and Brad Barry getting the ball back? The How many touchdowns did the Jets give up so far this year with their two corners? You sound like a New York. You have to be a Jet fan your whole life. I'm a Jet fan. I am an honest Jet fan. I always attack the Jets, but the Jets are for real. I believe you. The Jets are for real. You are correct when you say that, but you believe in Zach Wilson as much as you believe in a marathon runner with a hernia. You know you don't believe in Zach Wilson. When Zach Wilson was drafted, I rooted on that move for the Jets. Now, Zach Wilson is a guy that I think the Jets have to take the handcuffs on and let him play his game. They have not done that yet because they want to run the ball before they throw the ball. And their offensive line has been really, really good. You added Dwayne Brown. He is a mm-hmm. magnificent. And Elijah Veritaka was going to be an all-pro player before he hurt his elbow. He was that mm-hmm. good. And then yep. Bruce Hall is a beast of a man. They drafted him in the second round. He's tra- hurt. Oh. He's going to get as many yards as a dead man for the next couple of months. <laughs> he is hurt. What you, you said. Talk- James Robinson. Yes, there was a hell of a pickup right there. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Jets are. You don't really believe in New England. Nobody believes in New England. No. Matt Jones, the Bills are taking a step back. We almost beat the Vikings. The Vikings went up there and beat the Bills. So that showed a little NFC superiority right there. So we've beaten your best. NFC has beaten your best. And don't forget, Washington just beat the number one team in the NFL in Philadelphia and lost to the Vikings at the end of the game on the goal line. How far did Philadelphia go last year? They went to the first round. How far did the Cowboys go in the playoffs last year? They went to the first round. How far did the Commanders go last year in the playoffs? They went home with me and I haven't played in years. <laughs> don't worry. So did the Jets. If <laughs> Buffalo made it to the AFC Championship, mm-hmm. it don't matter. They lost. They, they lost. Did. A loss they were with the other 30 teams watching the Super Bowl. So it don't matter. The Bills have the most to lose in this situation. Here go one thing I know about the Bills. Great quarterback. Could be a generational talent quarterback. In the wintertime, it's all about who can run the ball. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked, Buffalo can't run the ball. And that's why I knew they weren't going to beat the Jets. I was the only person. I almost called the score of the game. I said 21-17, and it was 20-17. I said the Jets are going to run it down their throats. And the one thing the Jets could do, stop Diggs and stop Davis. And if they stop both of them, there is no way Buffalo's winning that game. Everything they did in that game, they won. The Jets proved it in the fourth quarter. They ran it right up the gut every single time, especially in the fourth quarter. Six minutes, they ran the ball down their throats. And if you do that against Buffalo, you can win. The problem with the NFC East, the Giants, they've played nobody. You can only beat who Who on your schedule. Last time I checked, these are NFL teams. You wouldn't pick a neutral field, Buffalo over Philadelphia. Who would win? You just said the Jets took two corners, took their wide receivers out the game. What would Philadelphia do? I don't know what Philadelphia is in the playoffs with the players that they have. We know what Buffalo is in the playoffs. I don't know. I know they losers. Losers? They went to an AFC title game and had one of the greatest games we've ever seen in NFL playoff games. And they lost. They did, but I don't know what these teams are in the playoffs. The Cowboys, until they win the big game, which they haven't done since the 90s, I don't trust that they're going to do anything. I like Taylor Hennig. 
Henneke. And Taylor Henneke should win that job. They should not give it to Carlson Wentz. Ever since Carlson Wentz has gotten hurt, this guy has done everything right. And he said everything right. And I like Carlson Wentz. I think he's been mistreated in Indianapolis. I think he was mm-hmm. mistreated with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think he's a good quarterback. I'm laughing at Indianapolis right now because they could have him as the quarterback instead of Matt Ryan, who looks like his legs falling off. Matt Ryan is fit. Matt Ryan retired three years ago and didn't tell nobody. <laughs> Another thing that's come out this week is uh, a petition. J.C. Treader and several of the NFLPA said that they want to play on all grass fields, ban turf fields from the NFL. Now, you played on both. Yep. field and natural grass, and then in Minnesota, mm-hmm. Metrodome, one of the older turf fields. So do you yep. have a preference, and do you think this is a realistic thing these players can fight for? Yes, it is. Grass and grass only. If it's God's game, God gave us grass to play on it. It's nothing softer than hitting grass. I don't care if it's snow on the ground, rain on the ground. Injuries, a lot of non-contact injuries happen on turf. Cleeks are getting stuck in the turf. One thing I mastered in was I started to wear soccer cleeks. They don't have the one big tooth at the front of the cleek that gets stuck. It helped me glide across the grass, but that's something that should have been done 10, 12 years ago. Just unhealthy, artificial anything. If you wouldn't put something artificial in your body, why would you play on something artificial? Don't you think it would cost the NFL a lot of money to change all the stadiums to grass? Cry, cry the NFL the river. They don't make but a billion dollars every three days. <laughs> I, I, Atlanta has has no business with fake grass in their stadium anyway. They down south. You got Seattle. You got Buffalo. And Green Bay shows Buffalo. Yes, you can be a nasty weather place and still play on grass. Mm. So you can play anywhere in the NFL on natural grass. I agree with you, but are the owners going to agree with it? Yeah, they will because the players don't ask for much, but when they do ask, they usually get the players what they want. We are talking to former Commanders and Vikings cornerback Fred Smoot. So you are a mm-hmm. cornerback. Your top five corners right now in the NFL. Of course, Darius Slay. Slay is having one of those years. Trayvon Diggs. Sauce Gardner. I got to put the sauce up there. I'm a big Marcus Peters fan, but haven't been making a lot of plays this year. Jared Alexander. Derek Stingley has secretly had a very good year himself. But I would go Tariq Woodland. Two rookies. Wow. I got two rookies in. I knew they'll be special coming out. I knew Sauce was going to be special. I ain't think he's going to be this damn good. Because the only thing I want to see with Sauce is what happens after he get beat. Because he never get beat in college. Never gave up a touchdown. So I don't worry about a corner giving up a touchdown. What happens? is next, but I see he has the swag to get the job done. Tariq Willen is a freak. They were showing the numbers of Jalen Ramsey, his first 10 games, and Sauce Garner, his first nine games. Sauce Garner's numbers are light years better than Jalen Ramsey, and Jalen Ramsey, for the last six years, has been the best corner in football, and he's not having a season right now. I don't think it's age. I just think not as fast as it was last year, and I don't think it was Von Miller. Super Bowl hangover. Hangover. (laughs) Fast rats disease. Once a rat get fat, it don't move that much no more. Here's the thing. The Rams don't have draft picks for the next two years. They've traded away practically their whole draft class this coming year and next year. You got free agency. You got guys that you can get in this league. You got guys that you can get for the Chiefs. They just gave Aaron Donald a lot of money. They gave Jalen Ramsey a lot of money. They got to pay Matthew Stafford unless they're going to go after Lamar Jackson. Matthew Stafford's a free agent this year. Do you re-sign him after what you've seen with his arm and you're hearing arm problems? Or do you go after a Lamar Jackson if he becomes available? You just said the magic word. We ain't got no draft picks. We have to re-sign Matthew Stafford. And actually, come on. That's a pipe dream if you think you're going to get Lamar Jackson. First of all, Baltimore does better business than that. You know eventually the Ravens will sign him. The Ravens don't let their cornerstone guy go. They are lifers once they're part of Baltimore. No, they're stuck with Matthew Stafford. Here's the reason why I think Lamar Jackson might not sign with the Baltimore Ravens. He is his own agent. After what he has seen Kyler Murray get, Aaron Rodgers got, even though his season has been up and down all year, and if Baltimore makes the playoffs or they don't make the playoffs, 
you know the Ravens are going to try to point their fingers on Lamar Jackson. You're a one-dimensional player. We're not giving you that kind of money, or we're not giving you guaranteed money. I have a feeling Lamar Jackson, unless they franchise him and then trade him, I don't think he'll be a Raven next year. And I don't think John Harbaugh is going to be there next year either. Are you just hoping these things? Or do you got any validity to your fact-finding? No. You know why he's a Raven? Because they've already built their offense that only fits yes, him. Did. And he would be a fool to divorce them, and they'll be a fool to divorce him. It's a perfect marriage. And people don't believe in quarterback face. Quarterbacks are usually attractive dudes. And it's only a couple of cities that can win with ugly quarterbacks. And that's <laughs> Pittsburgh and Baltimore. What are you trying to say? Lamar Jackson's ugly? No, I'm just saying <laughs> on the quarterback face scale, he wouldn't be Dan Marino. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Pittsburgh. Being Roethlisberger, you're not attractive, dude. <laughs> that's why Ben was doing things at clubs. <laughs> <laughs> During your career, one teammate that you have a funny story of. When I played for Washington, big Daryl Gardner, D-Tackle from Baylor, big mm-hmm. dude. We traded for him like three weeks into the season. And he got there like a Tuesday, which is an off day. Wednesday, the players, we got there. We got to meet him. And after practice, I go home and I get a knock on my door. And I open the door and it's Daryl Gardner. And he got a bag with it. Daryl is every bit of 6'6", 330 pounds, numbered muscle. Just very intimidating man. So Daryl practically moved in my house without my permission. I'm so scared. I'm waking up cooking the breakfast. I'm like, I'm almost his woman. He didn't move in my house. I go to practice like a week later after he'd have been in my house a week. And I caught, talked to Coach Gill. I'm like, Coach Gill, you got to get this dude out of my house. Because he had started playing real good. He was like, just let him chill there. I was like, man, I'm a prisoner at my own house. So yeah, basically a D-tackle came and took my house for like three weeks, four weeks. Fred, you are a great personality, man. You really are. You should have your own radio show. I do all the radio and TV post-game, pre-game shows. But eventually I have my own show to let me just be Fred Smooth. You're Fred the damn smooth. How's that sound? That does it with me. First of his name. If they're looking for another character in that TV show, you would be great in blonde hair. <laughs> I would, right? And it look good, but I still want to make sure I keep, like, black face or hair. <laughs> we really appreciate you joining us. We would love to get you on again. Your personality, everything. And maybe we'll get into watching your NFC East just fall apart. Uh, we can come back to this and go back and forth. The reason I'm going to tell you the NFC East is just so much better than the AFC. We are the oldest division in football and the only one with every team has won a Super Bowl. And we have multiple Super Bowls over here. Some of the richest franchises in the NFL. We are the cities of the NFL. And you want to tell me about a team, the Miami Dolphins, who hasn't won a Super Bowl since Don Shula was here. Don't do it! The Jets (laughs) haven't run since Joe Willie. Name it. The Bills don't even know how it feels to win a Super Bowl. And you telling me that's what the NFL is supposed to be afraid of? This is playing in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. The 49ers of San Francisco Mm -hmm. versus the Baltimore Ravens. And you know what my pick was before the season started? Bills and 49ers. The Ravens was actually my pick at the start of the season. I'm a little less on it now. I'm a little worried about their defense. But if they get back into form, I think they could do it. We're on almost the same way with the Bs. I still like Buffalo. I don't know what's going on with Josh Allen's elbow. But if somehow he gets back to the groove, I still think Buffalo has the talent. And White will be back in that cornerback room is going to be even better when he comes back. Yeah, but they can't run the ball. And when they get cold, it's all about keep away. You just watch the Washington football team run the ball down the throat of the Philadelphia Eagles. That's how you stop Josh Allen. Make him watch the game with the West of the fans. And this is what's going to happen when they play Baltimore. Baltimore going to chew the clock up, going to score on their drives, get play good defense. And Buffalo will be at home yet again wondering when is the 
be a mafia ever going to get a Super Bowl and they'll be jumping through tables. <laughs> Not just regular tables. I'm talking about tables from Fred Dollar Store. And you mentioned they have no Super Bowls. All four of their losses are to the NFC East. That's what I'm telling you. Congratulations. Um, you both are NFC East lovers. <laughs> Give me a break. Fred, we love you. Thank you for joining us. We'll get you on soon. Anytime, brother. Thank you. Fred Smoot and an angry Fred Smoot. He likes to attack me and I like attacking him. Very charismatic. Former All-American, too. Yes. Mr. Pretty Boy. He likes to talk about his looks. An FC East stand. Even the teams that he had to be trash-talking and hating when he's playing with the Washington Commanders. He loves them. He hates the AFC East. He loves the NFC East. He just hates the Philly fans. He loves the NFC East and he hates the AFC East. I understand the AFC East hasn't won a lot of Super Bowl. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> the Patriots have won quite a few. The Patriots have won quite a few, but also the Bills have lost quite a few. I never mentioned that to him. He was talking about all the championships that the Cowboys have won and the Giants won four. The Patriots are from the AFC East and they have dominated the NFL for the last 20, 30 years. But anyways, fantastic personality. We really loved him and we definitely want Fred back on the show very soon. When we come back, Money Lime Mania with Chaz and West, the handicappers of the year. And if you haven't checked out this segment, you guys are missing out on some money. We've got Money Lime Mania when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Knox, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Happy Thanksgiving to all, and to all a good night. I hope everybody has a very happy Thanksgiving. It's going to be great. It's going to be nice and cool. Maybe a little snow on the ground. Maybe some turkeys that we could pluck. Maybe we'll ask our friend Kenny to pluck some geese. There we go. You have to listen to the sports loudmouths and you'll get to know Kenny. Anyways, we have a very important segment for all the betting and all the money guys. We call this segment Money Line Mania! This is Money Line Mania which has in the crew. I love these two guys. We have Chaz and Wes. Chazzy, what's going on, bud? It's Saturdays in Canada, Super Bowl Sunday, basically. When we bring on Blackhawk West, he could talk CFL with anybody, but by Saturday night, it's nothing to talk about because it's over, but not this week. Not this week. This is everything. This is the Great Cup. We got the Winnipeg Blue Bombers going for a three-peat. Kind of a broken three-peat because we lost a season, but this would be three Great Cups in a row. Toronto is a very decorated franchise, and these are just two historic teams. They've won the most Great Cups. It's just going to be a great matchup. I am very much looking forward to it, but that is because I won a lot of money last week on Winnipeg. I told Wes it was the first time I'd gone against you in a long, long time because going against Wes or John from a jam sports five guys that we talked on a weekly basis i scratch my head and say what's wrong with me when they say the team is on the other side when we're together when two of us see it the same way it's a factor of more than double the one time i tried to figure out we were somewhere in the 85 percent range john from gmf sports and i talked about it when we disagree we both get anxiety and it's not trying to beat the other guy it's oh my god i'm probably gonna lose this he's on the other side you gotta put in the 
time and effort. I don't care if you're investing in stocks on his Discord page or you're following his sports plays. If you're not putting in the time and effort to do the research, it's so difficult to be successful unless you catch a lucky streak. And the worst thing for anybody that's new at sports betting is getting lucky when they're making mistakes. Then you think you're good. And there's all kinds of different rules if you're going to maintain any longevity in sports betting. And you can't win them all. That was kind of my thinking last week. Put a lot of effort into figuring out why BC was going to beat Winnipeg. But over the last four years, it's just not good for your health or your wallet to bet against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Remember they had that run last year? Because remember, they play a lot more games than college. They play more than the NFL as well. You can't say on any given Sunday because the CFL plays Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. They sprinkle in holidays and their Thanksgiving is on a Monday. But they play each other. There's only 19. There were times this year where there was the same matchup for three weeks in a row. They do home and away stuff in football. Even looking at this Grey Cup matchup, they only played each other once this season, which is rare for the CFL. A lot of these teams have played each other two plus times. Division opponents have played three and four times. So I'm looking at this game and been very public about my play on Toronto. And I would advise the listeners on future play. I'm not the person that's going to start off with an NFL large investment future play in August. If you have a future play, I would advise pay it as a tax as you're winning rather than laying down money that could make you more money. For about a six-week period, I took 10% of my winnings and I put it on Toronto. Plus 400, plus 425, plus 450. I have nothing less than plus 400. Those 420s are lucky. You hit a plus 420 and Wake and Bake gets happy. I have that investment. I do believe that at some point Winnipeg is going to lose. They are 15-3 and three, and that's through June until today. I mean, that's a lot of change of seasons. That's a lot of travel. The Canadian weather can be brutal. So the spread is five. If you have no investment in the CFL other than the game that's coming up on Sunday, I would tell you to lay the points, play the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. My approach is slightly different. And if anybody finds themselves in this scenario where you have this snowball of future bet, I'm going to lay an investment on Winnipeg money line. And that's going to recover some of what would have been a loss on that Toronto play. And if Toronto wins, that's going to be the bigger cash. If this is going to be your first time tuning into the CFL, play the points in Winnipeg. It is a little risky because Zach Caleros, the starting quarterback for Winnipeg, he's got an ankle and it's questionable. But the only thing I can compare the Winnipeg defense to is the Steelers defense when they're clicking on all cylinders with Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt. There's nothing in the CFL you can compare that defense. You mentioned the tax aspect of doing a future. Well, remember, when we first started the show, sportsbooks didn't have future lines. You couldn't bet who was going to win the AFC East online with a click of a button. You actually don't have to worry about doing it before the season. You can wait and watch because almost every single week, a good sportsbook, especially offshore, unfortunately, state-regulated books vary from state to state on how crazy they will let the sportsbooks be. So some of them don't have it, but normally, yeah, you're dealing with a situation where you can now bet Winnipeg and get your tax rebate for those taxes and guarantee yourself a little bit of it coming back. I'll cash any ticket. I've never once thrown a ticket on the ground at Superbook or any of the casinos we go to when we do our AFC, NFC weekend or any other time I've been at a sports book for heaven's sakes ever because it wasn't enough money. That's not happening. No way I'm not cashing a ticket if it's a winner. What I loved about Caliente, Caliente's tough. Mexico right now is hard to deal with, but understand 
man, I can get to Caliente just as quick as I can get to an Indian reservation out here. And the Indians don't have all the bells and whistles and they don't have sports betting. You could sit in the casino and bet on your phone. Kind of defeats the purpose. But when you're dealing with small ticket, they take a piece of the action. If you bet $11 to win 10 you go to the window, you get $21. There you get like $20.46. They only tax the winner. So you don't pay tax when you lose, but they tax the winner. I never complain because I collected quarters. And when I come home, I dump my quarters on the kitchen table, which is wood. The amount of noise and the loudness that it makes tells everyone in the house how much daddy won that day. Breeders' Cup, I had two pockets full of quarters. I must have cast 20-something tickets, maybe. I was hitting six and eight tickets. There's only four tellers. After a while, you feel bad you're going up and taking all their quarters because, you know, they need those quarters, too. They're trying to cash tickets. I'll take any winner I can get. Anytime I can get my money back, I'll take a break-even day all day long. So let's do this, Wes. I have actually gone over every single game because I recently got another gig from Vegas Insiders. They made me their total guy. So I get every week, I get to pick a total over, an under, and a team. And they pay me for it, whether they win or lose. I'm thinking that's pretty good. I win more than I lose, so I'm not worried about that. But those are had over in the Dallas game, under in the New Orleans game, playing the Rams. Team total, Blackhawk West is Kansas City Chiefs, over 28 and a half points. I think they may get a good chunk of it before halftime. The reason I tail these guys is not because I don't have time to handicap. I tail them because they're good enough that I don't need to handicap. I can tail these guys. But one of the reasons I have such a great winning success with these articles, remember I went 18-3 and three for a 21-day period, is that I'm putting so much time and effort because I have to write about it. So now I'm looking up quarterbacks' names. I look at the stats. I look at what you've done for me lately. The team total, team average, when you're 11 weeks in, don't tell me what your freaking average is from three months ago. You're a totally different team. Give me your last two or three away, your last two or three home. That's who you are now. You can tell yourself who you want to be, but if you gave up nine points in the last three games after giving up 41 in the first three, your average is skewed. I want to know what you're doing for me now. When I'm doing all those articles and doing that writing, I just handicap it more, but by the time I'm done with those three plays, I got nothing else. I got to go to John from GMF Sports or Black Hawk West. So what do you got, Wes? First one is, I'm riding the Steelers. The Steelers are well coached. Their defense showed up last week. I realize that since he's coming off a bye, I am not prepared to give that coach and that team credit for coming off a bye and being invincible. I'm not saying that they're not good. What I am saying is I like what the Steelers did last week. The Steelers are at home again. I think that they're just going to get stronger at three and six. I think they're still alive in that division. If they went out taking the four and a half points in the Steelers, I think they got a shot of winning the game. But four and a half points is too much in a division, especially a division matchup like this where these two teams hate each other. I'll give you a thing to back up Wes there. Cincinnati for the game on the road. 17 or less, five of their last seven. Hard to win a football game with 17 points, guys. There's a recent matchup where Burrow was sacked seven times by the Steelers and threw four interceptions. I believe some of last year's matchups, they were a quarterback away. I love Pittsburgh in this spot. The other one that I'm going with, this one might be a surprise, but I think that this is just the definition of timing. I really like the Texans. I'm taking the three points. Washington's coming off a tremendous high in any other scenario. Had Washington not upset a division opponent. NFC East, I won't bet the 
those matchups. They just beat each other up. It doesn't matter who's who on the stat sheet. It doesn't matter MVP, QB1, QB5. I believe that's the only reason that Houston is getting points in this game. Houston's got a good running back. They got a capable quarterback. And that coach can coach some deep. Washington's offense is not very good. Heineke is not that great when it comes to third and fourth down. I think that he's going to make some bad decisions. And I'm taking the three points. The Texans can pull off the win. You don't trust copycat Kirk Cousins, Wes? Trying to duplicate that chain celebration? I don't know why Wentz was brought into the picture. That organization, there's enough out there as to how poorly run that organization is from the ownership down. But Heineke probably wouldn't have been a bad option for this season. They didn't need to bring Wentz in. But I like Houston in that spot. And I'm going to throw the interesting one out there. going to throw Indy out there. There's a lot that's said about Jeff Saturday and whether he deserved the opportunity or didn't. The dude is lighting a fire under everybody in that building. I think his most recent quote was, if Ursay wants to tank, he shouldn't have called me. He's a leader of men. What are the other options out there? You're going to pick the next great coordinator to try and come in and lead the team. And that's a better decision because the guy earned it for 15 years and hadn't really won anything. But seven points, Indy can run the ball. Pretty good quarterback if they're motivated. If you're not motivated by that guy, we don't know a lot of centers. They're not out there being gregarious on TV. And between him and Peyton Manning, because if you've never seen Peyton Manning on Saturday Night Live, you know Peyton Manning's funny. That's why his Peyton Places are so good. He's a funny guy. The sly sense of humor. But golly gee, between him and his brother, they're doing okay for themselves. But Jeff Saturday was the center for a team that was very, very good for a very long time. It was them, or it was New England, and you could name maybe one more AFC team who was going to be Steelers. battling for the championship every Multiple year. Multiple Hall of Famers. Sometimes you just got to step back, and so the Eagles are 8-1. What's their record going to be? Do you think they're going to go 15-2, and two, Petey? Probably not, because I think Dallas will beat them a second time, and they might lose to the Titans. Wes just said, he's told me for years, I know he didn't bet the NFC East. So they're not going to go 15-2, and two, are they going to go 14-3? and three? That's possible, because the rest of their schedule is pretty easy. So can we agree that they're going to be 13-4 and four or 4 14 and 3 yeah. in that range. They're not losing to the Bears. They got two matchups against the Giants. I think they're going to sweep the Giants. I did so. The Giants are going to start losing games. They're not going to lose to the Packers. They're probably going to lose to Tennessee. It's just Tennessee's time of year. But I think they're going to lose to Dallas, and I don't think they're going to lose to the Saints. So, perfect loss would be this week coming up against these re energized Colts have a tremendous running back. The Eagles have to beat the Saints. They have to improve their draft stock for that first round pick. <laughs> exactly. That's where I'm at with the NFL. I know it's a couple oddball ones. But well, not this. This year, though, Wes, this year, it's been insane. You took a dollar and threw a dollar in every Moneyline dog, and it's worth $4 now. That $20 we started that Moneyline dog account with was at $43.75 before I laid the action this week. Thursday night was another dog outright winner. And a nice one, too. Sure and was. that's the thing with Washington. Talk about a team showing up out of nowhere. They were doing things that they haven't done on the offensive side of the ball. You had to think it had to do with Philly more than Washington. Whether Philly's head was up their butt because they didn't think they had a shot of losing this team. The bottom line is their record couldn't be farther apart in the standings against the spread. They were a half a game apart. Now, Washington has a better against the spread record than the Eagles do. If you believe that Philly is going to go 13-4, and four, which is a damn good record it might be the best record in the NFL this season, they're going to be 3-5-1 to five to one in every single one of them. So all you got to do is bet against them on the money line and you're going to triple or quadruple your money on each of those and it's going to 
pay for your losses and then some. You don't need to go all in on something. You just have to dissect the math. Math, exactly. A minus 300 is supposed to win because if it loses, you got to hit 75% to break even. If you got to do something three out of four times to break even, I ain't doing it. That's why I quit golf. Oh, you don't bet on golf, Chaz? No, I don't play golf. Every week at practice, in my trunk, I kept my stuff in. At least three times a week, I'd be out by the golf course. I would pull off to the side of the road. There's a parking lot. You go right to the putting green and the chipping green. Everybody's telling me the short games. Yeah, forget about it. I'm out of here. I'm going to go sports betting where I know I could do good. We had a guy on Sports Betting Weekly that was really good at betting on the tournaments. He had a whole strategy to it, didn't he? Yeah, sloppy. All right, Chaz, I have to go back to your Chiefs play. So how bad are the Chiefs going to destroy the Chargers? Because I have their team total over, I don't care. As long as it's 29 or more points on the board, that's all I care about. We watched that game in New Jersey. I missed a flight and I got stuck in New Jersey. Uh And I watched that game. It was a really, really good game. Now, the Chiefs had a big lead and the Chargers got a backdoor cover. I had given out the money line because I had a feeling that could happen. I looked really like a genius. I'm not thinking money line this time, though. I'm thinking they're going to cover. It's an odd scenario. 7-2. and two. This is a division matchup. I watch line movement. This line opened at minus 2.5 chargers. They flexed it before the lines came out. It's now plus 5 chargers. The odd thing here is WR1 and 2 for the Chiefs are questionable. Juju and Scantling are questionable. Now, we have Tommy and we have Kelsey and we have three-headed monster running back. It's odd line movement because 54% of the tickets are on the chargers, yet the line has moved in the opposite direction making the Chiefs a five-point favorite so smart money and the house oh, so the Charger fans that have had that myopic <laughs> attitude about their team since the Jets beat them when they missed like two field goals Nate Kading, that's right. There's a flashback. We talked to a lot of smart guys. Speedy's brain is a different brain, ain't it? It really is. In the summer, we had the former punter Darren Bennett on our show. Of course, and, yeah. yeah. And I he was saying that. it was more the curse of Mike Cypress because they mistreated him towards the end of his career. He had that bad uh, foot injury or leg injury. So they let yeah. him go. He played with the Panthers after that for a couple of years, and then he had to retire just because of how bad yeah. the Chargers mistreated him. And since then, the kicker issues, too, since Nate Kading. Because Nate Kading was a great kicker until that playoff game and then since then they just can't find either one of them. I'll throw a score out there with the Chiefs. In the Chiefs wins there's only been one this season where they've scored less than 27 points and that was the one that went to OT against Tennessee. So if the Chiefs are to win this game, chances are they're going to score over 27. And those 27s only happened twice. Once was against the Chargers, and the other one was in most recent history against Jacksonville. Everything else is 30-plus. So I believe that this will be Chiefs 34, Chargers 23. I hope it's that close. I could see them doubling them up 34-17, something like that. Nice. Take down the Chargers. They do a pretty good job of it themselves. Yes, they do. They stabbed their own quarterback in the lung. And that is why... Who does that? Russell Wilson going to Denver, going to win the division. Josh McDaniels. Herbert's coming. In the meantime, the Chiefs are the number one seed. If they lose this game, the Chargers, that division is over. It's just a cruise control. It's pretty nice when you can say, hey, why don't we give you an extra week off? I know you want to play, but taking an extra week off because we're 9-2 now.
now. We're 11 and 3 now, and then nobody else in our division is close, and we're pretty great shape for home field advantage. We want you healthy for the playoffs. But one of the things that Wes mentioned, the early line coming out, but that line was all skewed. Anything to do with the AFC West that was a line in, in August, because most of these games, a lot earlier in the year than the game, their lines are out there. You just got to find the, the book that has them. Everybody thought this AFC West was the greatest gift of football that God has ever bestowed upon us, and that the Chiefs might not be in third place. And the AFC East is the most competitive right now. There's the potential... All four AFC East teams are going to make the playoffs. These Patriots coming off a bye, they're not out of this thing. Belichick is coming out, and I am afraid for the Jets. I'm not prepared to make a pick on that game. It's a difficult one because it's a divisional matchup, but Belichick coming off a bye, you'd be foolish to bet against it. But right now, the Patriots are the basement of that division, and it's not looking so bad for them. They get a dub, and they're 6-4. and four. The AFC East was the division that was supposed to be Buffalo and everybody else. The Jets were a surprise. I guess Miami wasn't much of a surprise. No, people have him as a wild card team. It's hard for me to put that much stock in a wide receiver. A great wide receiver can change the game and help a quarterback on a team that doesn't have wide receivers. But a well-balanced team, you can't put that much stock in them. That's why I didn't think much of Tyreek Hill leaving the Chiefs. Great player, but not worth the $30 million. You pay a guy that much money, you can't pay anybody else. The only reason that Miami can afford him is they ain't paying their quarterback yet. I have a Sunday routine where these guys are kind enough to send me their plays for their Circa. I don't have a lot of plays that I like on the first games, and that's really what I try to do. I go heavy first half. I could always come back later and make up for any mistakes. So I don't treat the game in the first half equally. If I'm on the quarter, I'm going little bitty quarter, little bitty game, kind of medium first half, and is all of it together ready to pounce on in live action because a 14-point team, a given 14 in college football, that's not that high, that gives up that first touchdown, we start clicking, and now I'm giving 9 instead of giving 14, and they win by 10. The 14 tickets lose, the other tickets win, and life is good. Yep. In the CFL, you got to watch this game. If you don't watch this game on Sunday, you're missing out. The Grey Cup is the highest quality of CFL football, but you're getting CFL football, and you're getting all the craziness. The one in the CFL, and I should laugh at it but I'm a human being and I have childish responses to things but when they're running for it and they crash into the goalpost because the goalpost yep. is in the end zone. I don't wish bad things on anybody but it's like those old bloopers videos from the 80s. How many passes hit the crossbar? Oh my yeah, god all the time. And you can intercept it off the ricochet and that's worse than watching your jockey fall off the horse in the stretch. Yeah there you go especially if you're losing by a hook. If the point spread is an evil idea developed by a very, very bad man. The half point is Satan. Satan tool. I remember losing recently by a half point twice. The same half point. The guy missed an extra point in the first half. I lost by a half. And then second half, I ended up losing the game by a half a point. Same half a point. Just brutal. Thanks for joining us, guys. Good luck on both of your bets. And we'll see you on the CFL if a, a Toronto team could actually come through in a championship because we know their hockey team won't. There you always go. We know their Toronto. The Leafs will not. Yeah, always be cashing, guys. Money line mania, ladies and gentlemen. I know all the fans that listen to the show can't wait for this segment. If you have missed this show and missed this segment, you guys are missing out on winning some good money. These guys are as good as they get when it comes to handicappers. Wes is almost at 90%. Chaz is up there in the 80s. And all the different handicappers they've had on this show, from John to Hector, they have been dead on with their picks in baseball and football and college basketball. Check out this segment, guys. Just wait for next week. There's going to be some World Cup soccer. Oh, yes. And I 
was supposed to go there, yeah, the guitar, were. but yeah, I decided not to go. Third world country is not all about me. But anyways, when we come back, Speedy, what do we got? We got some New York hockey, Rangers and Islanders, and some crunch time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Easy. Errol Marks, my co-host, Little Speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. We have to get into some hockey. The Islanders this year have been unbelievable. The comeback team in the NHL. You could see the Islanders go down 4-1 to one in the first period and come back and win a game in the third period. The Islanders have won four games this year, two or more goals down in the third period. The Islanders have been the comeback team. Even though they lost on Thursday against the Nashville Predators, when they were down 4-1, to they came back to 4-3 to and then lost 5-4, to and they hit four posts. They're second in the Metropolitan Division when it comes to goals. Everybody was taking shots at Lou Lamorello that they didn't find another offensive player to help Barzell out. So far, they don't need any other offensive players. They're getting contributions from Everybody, every single line. The fourth line, one of the best lines in all of hockey as far as the fourth line. Martin and Clutterbuck, Casey Sezikis. This is a talented roster, and they're getting contributions even from the defensemen. Dobbs, he's having a Norris Trophy year. Barzell, even though he hasn't scored a goal. 19 assists. assists it's crazy. But the Islanders are using him more in the passing and for his skills, his skating skills, and his stick handling skills. He's going to find the net one way or another, but he's one of the best passers in the NHL and can feed anybody. And if they could find a sniper, they could find a guy that could put the puck in the net. Could you imagine what that line could be? Maybe a Patrick Kane. This is a good team. It's great to watch. And the Rangers are not far from them, but could you imagine the Devils are in first place? The Devils' defense has actually really been insane this year. They allow the least shot attempts per game. They had to lose a lot of guys because they had so many bad contracts. They brought in Dougie Hamilton, who's hurt last year. It's been been really good this year. Really good this year. Damon Severinsen. Mackenzie Blackwood in goal has been very good as well. Who's hurt right now? Beating a lot of good teams, and so are the Islanders mentioned the comebacks that they've had against a lot of those top teams. They're doing it with a good mixture of everything. Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, Barzell, 19 assists, still doesn't have a goal yet, but still shooting. 47 shots on goal is still Brock a Brock Nelson leads the Islanders in goals. Defense has been getting involved offensively, too. Adam Pellick has 8 points, a guy that's normally just known for being a defensive defenseman. Dobson, 12 points already, 5 goals. It's a very good system that they have. Both forwards playing defense and defensemen scoring points. Lane Lambert's actually brought a lot of balance. Barry Trotz is a great coach, but it seemed like they were playing the same style. You're seeing a lot of different ways that the Islanders could play with this new team. It's fun to watch. And the Rangers, they're in fourth place in the Metropolitan Division. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to figure things out. Not getting enough from Kreider this year. Seven goals, eight yeah. assists. Panarin's having a good year. Zabinijad is having a better year than he did last year in the first half. Lafiniere, who everybody thought was going to take four steps forward, has not really started off strong. And Capococco, who played well at the end of the season, so did Lafiniere. They're not playing as well as they did in the second half of the season. Adam Fox started off slow. He's starting to play good hockey. And the Rangers are just trying to figure it out. They're not getting enough contributions as a team defense. If their defensive pairing play better and they're getting enough goaltending from Shesterkin, I still think they're a lot better than they have looked. But Shesterkin started off very, very slow. Last year, he started off very, very fast. This is the best goalie in the NHL from last year. Could he do it back-to-back years? I just don't think he has the same defense, even though the defense was a little weak last year. They're not playing the same way as a team. There's going to be some natural regression with Shesterkin for the kind of year he had. The league is trying to be like football, more offensive. It's just harder for a 
goalie to have that kind of year again. Now, the defense has played a little better the last week. You would think that the defense would be better than it was last year. Their defense is worse this year. Now, the one thing that is good is they don't have any veterans that are slow holding them back. As a result, guys like Braden Schneider have played better because he's been able to skate more rather than having to recover for other guys that are allowing these breakaway chances. The Rangers have been better at that. I think the puck awareness still has to be a little better from guys like Truba, Fox that have been a little down for their standards. And I also think the forwards defensively have to be a little better. Young guys were very good in the postseason. I think there are some guys that have still done well, like Kreider and Trocek, but it really hasn't been the whole team. In terms of the offense, they're still just trying to find their way with getting the kids in the top six. Lafreniere played well in the beginning of the season. Kako, I think, has been very good on the first line. Not scoring enough. Got seven points this year. Lafreniere's got seven points. Lafreniere, this is his third year. He should be scoring goals. He should be getting more points. He should be a lot better than he has shown in the first month. Last year, he progressed, and now all of a sudden, he's fallen apart. I want to see more from Kapokako. I want to see more from Lafreniere. Kapokako got the extension. I was very surprised the Rangers gave him the extension. He had a very good playoff. I want to see more from Lafreniere. This guy was the number one pick, and everybody expected him to be a 30 and 40 type of guy. He's not that guy yet, and I want to see more from him. Those guys will be able to make it work when they have other top wingers in play. Kreider tried him at center. Zibanejad and Panarin, they've been switching around. So maybe when there's a little more stability, those guys will be more in place. Also on the power play, too, they have to be a little better. All right, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! Buy or sell. Three different players will rush for 100-plus yards in the Bears-Falcons matchup. Oh, I'm going to sell that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Justin Fields will. I don't know what they're going to get out of the running backs with the Bears. And I know Atlanta can run the ball, but Marcus Mariota is going to try to throw the ball in this game. Use more Kyle Pitts. Use London. He's going to use his wide receivers in this game because the secondary of the Bears have been non-existent, really, for the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to sell that. I'm actually going to buy that one because Cordero Patterson was not used a lot last week. I feel like he was still limited with the injury on a short week. This week now, with a longer week, I do think he'll end up getting the 100 rushing yards. I think Tyler Algier, who's been a nice rookie, is going to get 100 rushing yards. The Bears, sixth worst rushing defense in the NFL. I definitely think Justin Fields does. The Atlanta's front is not very good. They're more of a power rushing type. I'm actually going to buy that one. Kevin Durant will be traded within the next two months. Absolutely. I'm buying it. I can't see him stay with the Nets. This is a clown organization. The team's falling apart. This is one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. Kyrie Irving, we don't even know when he's coming back. Ben Simmons can't stay healthy, and they have nobody on the bench, so I absolutely buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think the Suns later on, once they get clearance with DeAndre Ayton, which is sometime in January, to be able to be traded, I think they're going to pull the trigger very quickly. I know they were hearing about the Golden State Warriors, the rumors of a reunion. I think the Suns are going to do everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen, so I am going to buy that. Jacob DeGrom will get a contract that is more than a three-year deal. I'm buying. I think he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He couldn't stay healthy for the last couple of years, but he still has the ability to be one of the top three pitchers in the league. I absolutely buy it. I'm going to sell it. I actually think he's using the Rangers rumor as leverage to try to get more average annual value. I do think he'll end up going either back to the Mets or to the Braves. I don't think he's actually going to go to Texas, unless Texas makes other moves too, but I don't think they're ready right now. I know DeGrom wants to win a championship, so I am going to sell that. Both Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert will have two 250-plus passing yards and two-plus passing touchdowns. I believe that, especially with the wide receivers coming back over there with the Chargers. We know Patrick Mahomes likes to throw touchdowns. He's going to throw a lot in this game. I think it's going to be a high-flying scoring game, so I absolutely buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think especially with Mike Williams, too, who's been a Chiefs killer throughout his career since 2018. And I think Patrick Mahomes, even with a couple of receivers hurt right now, will still be able to spread the ball around with the Chargers having all the injuries they have. Matthew Barzell will get to 25 assists before he scores his first goal. I sell that. In the next five games, 
games, he's scoring a goal. He's having a great year. You can't really attack him for getting the assist. They need that guy to set up all the other guys on the ice. So I'm going to sell that. I believe Barzell will put the puck in the net. I'm going to buy it. Not to the fact that they can't score within the next five games. The Islanders have had a lot of high-scoring games this year where I could see him getting just some multi-assist game. I think that could add up over time, and then he'll get his first goal three or four games in with the way the Islanders have been scoring. Besides the Coyotes game, they've been consistently at the four-goal pace. So I am going to buy that. Looking forward to the Ohio State-Michigan game next week. Buy or sell. Ohio State wins and covers minus seven. I buy it. Ohio State's a better team. I love what I see with Michigan. When you look at what we have seen so far in Ohio State, C.J. Stroud is the number one pick in this year's draft. He is the Heisman Trophy winner. He's the first quarterback in NCAA history to have three games with six or more touchdowns. He's also had four or more games with five or more touchdowns. This guy is having one of the greatest college quarterback years we've ever seen. Remember Joe Burrow in that year? This is even better. Than I buy Ohio State is going to rip apart Michigan. I'm going to sell it. I think Michigan will cover minus seven. I'm still not sure who's going to win the game yet. I think Michigan as a team has been a little more complete. Ohio State's been reliant a lot on C.J. Stroud, and that's even with Smith and Jigba hurt. But their defense has been leaky at certain points. Michigan defense is still very- one of the best defenses in the country. Talent-wise, it is, but they've not as good of up front as they were supposed to be at the beginning of the year. Michigan's defense has still been very consistent. I don't trust their running game, the Ohio State, with all the injuries that they have. Michigan, Blake Corum could be a Heisman candidate. So I do think it'll be close. I'm not, not sure who's going to win yet. It's at Ohio State, so I probably would favor them, but I do sell the fact that I think Michigan will cover. Justin Verlander will get a deal that is more average annual value than Max Scherzer. I'm going to sell that. Two-year with a third-year option, somewhere around Max Scherzer money. Remember, Max Scherzer, when he got that contract from the Mets, he was 38. You're talking about Verlander. He'll be 41 next year. I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I don't think there's another team that's going to be that aggressive in that market. Not even the Yankees will give him that. I don't think the Mets would if they did it again. There's just really not a market out there. The Dodgers would be the other team that maybe people think would do it. I don't think they would do it. so much. I don't think. I know Walker Buehler is going to miss next season as well, but they found other pitchers just randomly. I am going to sell that. All right, last one. Both CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson will have six-plus catches and 100-plus receiving yards. I buy that. This is a big game for CeeDee Lamb. I don't like the Minnesota Vikings secondary. We all know what Justin Jefferson could do. The Cowboys, they have very good corners. They have one of the better corners in the league that likes to pick the ball off. But I think Justin Jefferson, he was double team last week, even triple team at certain points. He was still catching the ball. They don't have a big, long guy like a Gardner that can get into your face and put his hands in your face. Diggs is a good player. He doesn't have the length that Gardner has. I'm going to buy that both guys are going to have over 100 yards in the game. Yeah, I don't definitely buy that one. The Vikings outside corners are a little older. Shannon Sullivan, Cam Dansler, was the number two, isn't They're so special. overrated, their secondary. I, they're not overrated. They they're are just, overrated. They're just bad when it comes to defending top number one receivers. Patrick Peterson, at this point in his career, is a number two corner more, so I think C.D. Lamb will be able to get that kind of a thing exposed. I definitely think Justin Jefferson will get it, too, because as much as Fred Smoot likes to think, I don't think Trayvon Diggs is a top five corner. He's just a little over-aggressive at times and pen- penalty-wise, so I do think Jefferson will get some big plays here, but I definitely think C.D. Lamb is going to have maybe close to 100 50 yards in this game, so I'm definitely going to buy that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. I'd like to thank Fred Smoot for joining us, uh, ex-commander and Vikings cornerback. Fantastic, great personality. We'll get him on the show again. I'm sure everybody enjoyed the interview. Uh, I'd like to thank Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and Wes for joining us. They were fantastic. Thank you to all the fans. Happy Thanksgiving! Eat the turkey! Eat that mashed potatoes and that the honey ham. You like honey ham? Yes, I do. I like honey ham, too. Enjoy Enjoy all your food. Enjoy your families. We'll be back next week. The Weekend Crunch is here. We are the voices of sports radio here on Long Island. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I hope you like the enthusiasm. We'll be back next week. Good night, everybody.